Welcome to the Martins Kirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit martinskirk.com. Good morning. So today, as Peter mentioned, is the first Sunday of Epiphany. It starts this, uh, this season for our church. And this Epiphany weekend um, is set aside by the church every year to hear of Jesus' baptism this particular weekend. Epiphany season, as Peter mentioned, is our celebration of the manifestation of the light to the world. It's usually celebrated with stories surrounded the church's expansion into that world and marked traditionally by the wise kings rejoicing over Jesus. The manifestation, which is what the word epiphany means, the epiphany was what the wise kings saw. They saw the epiphany of God on earth. God came to the world as a man. And this morning we celebrate the manifestation of God on earth as a fulfillment of prophecy, as a priestly anointing, and as an establishment of the second Adam as head of the covenant. And as many of you were hopefully able to uh, be with us this weekend to hear Dr. Alistair Roberts talk, uh, we're going to try our hand this morning at some of those questions, some of that way of reading the scripture. We're going to ask some important, text, or important questions from our text this morning. For instance, uh, you heard it read already. Here's a couple questions you might have. Why a dove? Or why is there a genealogy? If you're looking in your, in your, uh, in your Bible uh, at, the, at the book of Matthew, why is there a genealogy before our text, but the same genealogy is put after our text in the book of Luke? Or why was Jesus baptized in the Jordan River? Why that particular river? Why did Jesus insist to be baptized by John? To fulfill all righteousness, he says. Or, as most churches this morning I imagine will be discussing, why does Jesus have to be baptized at all anyway? And most commentators, as I've looked this past couple weeks, say that Jesus was baptized in order to identify with his people. This is definitely true, and this is a glorious truth for us, but there are specific reasons for his baptism. And what can our text maybe illuminate for us there? Is there something in particular God gave to us to figure out that was more complex so that we could more completely understand what Jesus was doing in his baptism. God's word is important, and that is his word for us this morning, the word of Jesus' baptism. So we must believe in this miraculous baptism, this baptism of Jesus, so that our faith might be strengthened for the work before us. That's what I want to talk about this morning. So before, before we begin, would you please pray with me? God, our Father, we are grateful for your word. We thank you for sending your Son into the world for our sake. Help us this morning to believe your word. Help us to understand the harder parts of Scripture. Help us to see connections and themes, not for our own information, but so that our faith might grow. Give us open ears this morning to truly hear the truth of your word and see your glory. Amen. So as we, begin, as we begin this morning, I want to reread that text. You can find it in your orders of worship also if you'd like to follow along. But Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 17 says the following. 
Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So the Gospel of Matthew, the book that we're looking at today, is the first book of the New Covenant, right? If you have that darn page in your, in your Bible that's blank in between the Old and the New, this is the first book that comes after that stupid page that you can rip out. But it's the first book in the New Covenant, and like our first few books of the Bible, Matthew recounts the history of Israel. Alistair talked to us yesterday about this a good bit. You can outline the whole book of Matthew by using the history of Israel. And at this beginning of Matthew, we receive a genealogy, a beginnings of some sort. And we are told of a miraculous birth, right? Similar to the story of Isaac or Jacob or Joseph, we see the birth of Jesus. Then we see Israel's exodus story retold in Jesus. Israel has become Egypt, an oppressor, and Pharaoh is replaced with Herod, who's killing all the children. Jesus then escapes in the night and is saved. He then has to, has to have a water crossing, a baptism, in chapter 3. And immediately after his baptism, he enters the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days, similar to the temptation of the Israelites. Jesus is continually a sinless Israel in the book of Matthew. We see he goes up on a mountain and proclaims the new law to the people on the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew ends with Jesus giving his great commission to go into the world, proclaiming and baptizing with all the authority of heaven and earth. He is a greater Cyrus, 2 Chronicles chapter 36. There's a great commission at the end of Israel's history from the King Cyrus. Jesus is a greater Cyrus. In Matthew, If we take all of this into account for our reading this morning, we can see where we might be in the history of Israel. We see the baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3 corresponds to the crossing of the Jordan in the Old Covenant. Matthew is revealing Jesus. He's retracing the sinless steps of Jesus and thus retracing the sinful steps of Israel, making everything new and right. Jesus has come to the world. He is not crossing the Jordan. The Jordan's not given to us in this passage by accident. We see that Jesus was there expecting to be baptized. He came to the river knowing he would have to cross it. And when Jesus asked John the Forerunner, I'm going to use John the Forerunner because John the Baptist is kind of confusing for us Presbyterians. But John seems to balk at this request. He seems to think this is odd. He says, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. To which Jesus answers, right? He says, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So, what John the Forerunner was performing was unique. This was a unique baptism in the history of God's people. First, John's baptism was a passive act on the recipient. In most of the Old Covenant, the baptisms there were the individuals doing their own washing to themselves. The priest would say, you're unclean, go out and wash yourself a certain amount of times, wash yourself this particular way. It was an active baptism on the, on the part of the recipient. 
But here, John the Forerunner is giving us a passive type of baptism. Think of Elisha in 2 Kings when he tells uh, the commander Naaman to go down to the Jordan River and wash seven times to cure his leprosy. He tells Naaman to go do his own baptism, right? This, the baptism was an active uh, part on the recipient. Or anyone who touched an unclean animal had to wash all of their own clothes to get clean. This was a different sort of baptism in the Old Covenant. This baptism in Matthew chapter 3 was like Moses. There is an, uh, an allusion to a specific kind of baptism in the Old Covenant. Moses washed the sons of Aaron before they became priests, before the priestly system was set up. So there was a, a, a passive baptism in the Old Covenant, but it was a priestly baptism. It was set apart as a particular kind, a unique baptism, a fulfillment it, this baptism in Matthew chapter 3 is a fulfillment of a man preaching repentance in the wilderness, setting apart a new order of priests under the anointed great high priest. Does this make sense? So if we're going to take that picture of Moses and Aaron and his sons and see what maybe is happening in the new covenant, we could say that Jesus was being baptized like a greater Aaron by John the forerunner, forerunner who pictures Moses for us. And Moses and John the Forerunner, they both are men preaching repentance in a wilderness. So Jesus is a greater Aaron here. We're getting a picture of Jesus' baptism being a washing as a new priest for the new covenant. The high priest, this is, here's another example. The high priest in the old covenant would accumulate the sins of Israel upon himself throughout the year. And on the day of atonement, every year, he would place his hand upon the scapegoat. You guys remember this? He would transfer those sins upon the goat and send that goat out of the city. The Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood uh, of the order of Aaron, was to bear the sins of the people. And this is what the high priest did all year. He took those sins into himself and then he placed them into the scapegoat. And this is what Jesus says in verse 15. This is why those words are not that, con not, not that confusing, right? He says... He has to do this. He needs John to baptize him to fulfill all righteousness. And that phrase might not make much sense if we did not make the connection to Jesus being anointed in this washing as the great high priest for us. Another reason we know this is a picture of Jesus being washed for his office is in Luke's account of Jesus' baptism. Right after Jesus' baptism, I mentioned the genealogy being before in Matthew and after in Luke. But right after Jesus' baptism, in the Gospel of Luke, we see this genealogy begin. He puts the genealogy of Jesus behind the baptism, not up front, because he does this as proof of Jesus' new priestly qualification. In the Old Covenant, a new priest had to prove that he was in the birth line of the Levites. He had to prove that he was part of that lineage. And this is what Luke is doing for us in his gospel. He's proving that Jesus' lineage qualifies him to be priest of the new covenant. Another reason, Jesus was baptized at the age of 30. We learn this in chat in Luke also. The age of requirement for priestly ministry in the old covenant was 30. And his lineage, Jesus' lineage, was not of Aaron, Luke tells us, but of Adam. Luke says Jesus is in the line of Adam and is the son of God. He is a greater Aaron. He's even better than that Levite lineage. 
He's a priest that can reconcile us to God, and his ministry as great high priest began when all priests began at the age of 30 years old. So Jesus was being washed for his office. This is what's happening in his baptism, for his ministry. This is a unique type of baptism. But to make it even more unique than the baptism offered by John, right? John is passively baptizing a lot of people at this time. But what makes Jesus' baptism even more unique than that is the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus after his baptism. John the forerunner's baptism pointed to the Lord's baptism. His baptism was even a foreshadow of Jesus' baptism. The Spirit of God equips the baptized to work before him in the world. And we also see the use of the dove, right? Jesus, it says that the Spirit descended as a dove. And we see the dove in context of this same sacrificial system. If we look at, at parallels, or how, how can we understand why God used the word dove? Well, the dove was an integral part of the sacrificial system. It was the sacrifice for the poorest Israelites. Jesus had come to be the sacrifice to the poor and the needy as well to the wealthy. He was the sacrifice for all, the sacrifice that would bring a new creation. And this new creation imagery is here in the dove as well. We are to see Jesus' baptism in connection to the people of Israel, to Aaron, but also to Noah. Right? Jesus' baptism was unique because it was done to him. It was unique because it was a priestly washing and because it anointed him as head of the new covenant. So we see this dove picture in the flood. Right? All of this, all of these things that I mentioned has been found in the first three verses of our text. But then we get to verse 17. And verse 17 says, And suddenly a voice from heaven came, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And there are only two instances of the Father speaking from heaven to Jesus in the New Covenant. One is this passage, right, that we have here. And the other is on the Mount of Transfiguration, where the Father reiterates this same baptismal blessing. The Father says on the Mount of Transfiguration, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then he adds after that, hear him. But that's the whole phrase. And then also, the baptism of Jesus is the only passage in all of Scripture where we see explicitly the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all present and relating to one another. This is the only passage we get, all three, relating to one another uh, explicitly. The Father at Jesus' baptism is pronouncing the fulfillment of prophecy upon the Son. And this is the picture. This is what God is doing when he speaks these words over Jesus. The Father pronounces Jesus as his Son, the Messiah. He's directly quoting from Psalm 2. And we sing Psalm 2 fairly regularly here at TRC. You'll, you'll remember it says, I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, You are my Son, to get, today I have begotten you. Psalm 2, if you're singing it in your head right now, and you might be, uh, is about the conquest of the world. It's about Jesus being the Son, the Messiah, come to conquer the world, to set apart the world for his service. And Jesus is being set apart in his baptism for this work. This is why the Father quotes Psalm 2 over Jesus. He says Psalm 2 is about Jesus. But notice that the Father adds the word beloved. And I like this, this, uh, 
This connection, this could be a reference to Genesis 22, 2, where we see Isaiah, Isaac was a beloved of his father Abraham. I think this could be applied, but many scholars disagree with me, and that's fine, so they probably know better than I do. Um, but I like that idea, but those faithful men disagree. But everyone is positive, and you can notice by the lectionary reading this morning, we read uh, Isaiah 42, that's in the Revised Common Lectionary. And if you have a cross-reference Bible, you'll see that Isaiah 42 is the cross-reference for this scripture. But we see in Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 3, the Father, when he declares his pleasure in Jesus, is pointing to a victorious Messiah. Here's the quotation from Isaiah 42. Behold, my servant who I, who I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. He will bring forth justice for truth. So Jesus is the one in whom the Father's soul delights. He is the one to die on the cross for the sins of the world. These pronunciations were not lost on John the forerunner. John John the Baptist, John the forerunner, calls Jesus the Lamb of God. He then calls him the Son of God in the Gospel of John's account of Jesus' baptism. So he knew what was happening at this moment. And we know that Jesus' baptism was necessary. God the Father pronounces the fulfillment of prophecy upon Jesus as the Messiah. And the Spirit descends on Jesus to empower him for his earthly ministry. The baptism of Jesus washed him into priestly service. It anointed him as the head of the new covenant. All good, right? That's all good. Those are cool facts. Interesting correlations. You found some interesting things in the old covenant. But what are we to gain from hearing about the Lord's baptism every year? Why does the church think it's appropriate that we look at Jesus' baptism every year? How do we apply something like this? to our lives, at home, at work, at school, or even at church, what's the point? Sometimes application, is what I want to argue, sometimes our application as Christians is go and sin no more. That's a good application. I like that application particularly because I'm a basic guy. I like just, this is what you should do, this is what you should not do, now go and do that, and go and don't do that. But every Lord's Day... Every time you hear a sermon, every time you hear the word preached, every time you hear the word spoken to you, is an opportunity, is a demand on the saint to believe. And this is hard, but the Lord gives us the majesty of His Scripture to help us do this, to help us believe. He gave us the Scripture so rich in congruity, so miraculously put together... That when we see the baptism of Jesus, in light of all these other scriptures, or at least as much as we can piece together so far, we will be hardened and matured in our faith. And this is important to God. So this Lord's Day, particularly, hear this, people of God, and be strengthened. If you have been baptized, you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did. He was the first to receive this kind of baptism. And after his ascension, the church receives Jesus' baptism. You have been given the same anointing that Jesus received at his baptism, the same calling and the same spirit. You have crossed the Jordan into a land promised to you. 
You have been washed as a priest and anointed unto your work as people with sanctuary access in the midst of your enemies. You are in Christ, a greater Israel, equipped to withstand temptation from Satan. For instance, if you're physically, emotionally drained, you, you have no power, no energy to kill the sin in your life. You still have the Spirit of God. You are a partaker in Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. He accomplished what Israel and what you could not. And He did it by the power of the Spirit, which you now have in Christ. You have been anointed and called in your baptism. You can do the same thing that Jesus did in the wilderness. Jesus routinely said, It is written, Be gone, Satan. You can point to what you know is true, and in the Spirit, tell Satan to be gone. You have been given the calling to bear the sins of others. This is what happened in your baptism. You've been given that same calling to minister to the world. At your baptism, you were anointed for the priesthood under Jesus, the great high priest. So you must go to God on behalf of the world. And that's what you're all doing here this morning. We're going to God on behalf of the world. You are to pray. You are to admonish. You are to offer for the sake of another as a priest. And as a baptized member of Christ's body, you are washed. You are anointed to live as He lived. In Christ, you are beloved by God. In Christ, the Father is well pleased in you. These same words apply to you in Christ. Christ is your head and you are the body. This is what we see in the new covenant. Jesus is the great high priest and you are all priests. Jesus bore your sins on his body on the tree and you are to bear the burdens of those around you. You are to believe. And when you believe, you are equipped for every good work. This is what we see in the epistles. You are equipped for every temptation. So... Have faith, beloved of God, that your Father is pleased with you. So this morning, as we go forward, hear the charge of Cyrus, king of Persia. All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now, baptized people of God, hear your greater charge from your covenant head, the greater Cyrus, your great high priest. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.